Hey bro, how are you? Heading to the gym right now to continue with this cutting, cutting and lifting, trying to get rid of the excess fat. I'm gonna do some presses, machine press, some bicep curls, probably do the barbell curl, <clears throat> just to kind of hit a different part of the bicep. I'm gonna do some calisthenics for strength training the back and shoulders and core triceps which is basically handstands, handstand push-ups, uh, handstand walking. Uh, and also, I just feel really good doing handstands. It's something that I've I practiced a lot and <laughs> I've seen progression in, so I, I like to do it just to make me feel like, like I'm the man. I'm the man. And I'm weighing in at 183.4. And if you'll notice, it's about like three and a half pounds less than just a few days ago from the last vlog, from the last episode. And I looked at that and I was like, I've lost three and a half pounds in just a few days. That can't be healthy. <laughs> that can't be right. And so I was thinking about this and I think maybe it's water weight or uh, I don't know, cause I'm, I'm doing the same routine. As soon as I wake up, I put on the same clothes to weigh myself at the same time. There's nothing that's changing, nothing that's different. I think when I did weigh in, I was heavy in water, or uh, this morning I was light in water, or probably a mixture of both. And also I do think I'm losing fat, so that's, that's probably a consideration in there too. I guess I'm a little concerned because I don't wanna lose fat and muscle. And so that's the, that's the big concern there is I'm, I'm losing muscle as well as fat and that would be, that would be a big no-no. I don't think that's the case. I don't think I'm losing fat or sorry, I don't think I'm losing muscle because I'm putting a lot of time in the gym and time under tension on the muscles enough to keep them stimulated and keep them hopefully growing a little, not just maintaining. I'm hoping to grow them by stimulating them more than they're used to and pushing them to the limits, doing more sets, more volume. So I don't think that the, the muscle, muscle is diminishing, but that's also kind of a fear I have. The thing about my characters is I let these things get to me, like the uncertainty, especially if I don't know what I'm doing with something. I've never gotten, you know, balls to the walls serious about fit, fitness and lifting, so I don't know what I'm doing exactly. And so the, the uncertainty kind of creeps in, and so I start thinking like, oh, maybe I should tweak this and adjust this. And that's a more emotional decision. But I realized that the best decisions in life, especially long-term ones, need to be done rationally and logically. And rationally speaking, I know for a fact that I'm progressing in my muscle gain and my fat loss. So all I have to do is continue it and not screw around and tweak it and mess with it till it's left, you know, just worse than, than ever. And that's something that I do struggle with is, is uncertainty. So hoping you guys, you and my brother, can keep me accountable to keeping keeping the workouts in, being consistent, <clears throat> just doing it. And that's the lesson overall. I wanna share a experience I had a few days ago that was a really, really low moment for me. And uh, <clears throat> I don't have these often, ever. I don't struggle with depression, or I, I think I used to, but in the last few years I haven't struggled with any of this. But there was a moment just a few days ago that I'm not so proud of after the fact. But I'll share it because there was an important lesson I learned from it. I was feeling too much on my plate. I guess the word you could say is stressed or overwhelmed. And it was after work and I, I came home, I decided to take my kids out to uh, the park and I had a smile on and I always coach myself into it and say, okay, you're feeling stressed, doesn't matter. Use that stress to, 
to fuel you, to motivate you, to get up, to do stuff. So I took them to the park, took them to the library, but inside I was just dying. Inside I was overwhelmed. Inside I was not feeling great. And why is that? We're buying a house. <laughs> We're buying a house. It's way more, more cumbersome than I could have ever imagined. The interest rates as of now, what I'm looking at is like, is like 8% interest for a house which is ludicrous considering that if I got the house a few years ago, it would have been like under 2%. And so that is that is uh, seriously depressing for me to, to look at the numbers and be like, man, most of our monthly payments will be just interest and fees and not much of that monthly payment will go to the actual principal of the house. And so when I did the math, I was like, this is really something else. So that was overwhelming. I have no idea what I'm doing there. Everyone, all the advice I get from people is like, oh, go to your local lender. I'm like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> Just walk into your local credit union and ask for a loan. I'm like, what are you talking about? That is not that is not common knowledge. And, and it's like people talk about this like it's common knowledge. Anyways, that's like a pet peeve of mine is where people talk at a high level to people that are like, I don't even know what that means, right? Okay, <clears throat> it's my responsibility to sit down and figure this out. I know, and that I'm, that I'm gonna do. So I was feeling completely overwhelmed and what happened physically is I started, my, my breathing started to become very shallow as it does when you get stressed. And so it was like this, kind of like a baby, <laughs> exactly like an infant. If you've ever had a child or uh, have been with a newborn baby, they do this thing called intermittent fast, uh, sorry, intermittent breathing <laughs> where they will stop breathing for up to 10 seconds. This is a this is a biological thing that babies do, and I don't know if it's an evolutionary thing to keep parents alert, or it's just God's cruel version of a joke, where they stop breathing for like ten seconds. They go, <laughs> and that's and that's basically what I was doing uh, on this day when I was at the park with my kids, and I was like, I was so shallow breathing that I just I stopped breathing for a whole good ten seconds, and I was like. <gasps> Wow, and so I knew that it was a phys physiological response to an emotion that I was feeling, which was fear and overwhelm. And so I decided to do the logical thing. I was like, all right, I need to breathe. So I just stood up and I started whiffing in all the oxygen I could from the trees around me. And I was like, okay, let's think about this logically. All right, so what I'm experiencing is overwhelm and stress. So I texted my dad and I said, dad, can we talk later? Which is what I do when I'm completely overwhelmed in life. He's a person I go to, which I am sure he appreciates very much when we go to our dads when we're the lowest in our lives, right? <laughs> I'm sure he just like a hi sometimes. Hey dad, just call him to see how you're doing. Nope, it's like, dad, I need to talk to you. I'm seriously depressed. So from his, his vantage point, I'm probably just like this extremely troubled person. No, he's proud of me, I know he is. So I say, dad, can I call? And he said, yeah, call anytime. And he's Japanese, right? <clears throat> which if that means anything to you guys, I don't know. He's Japanese, so he's very stoic. He just listens, he's wise. He doesn't give much advice ever, ever. When I call him is when it really counts. And I call him, I say, Dad, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. And I told him everything that's going on, everything that's on my plate, on my mind, everything with the kids, my wife, all the situations. And he just listened. And he said this, the thing that he says every time, okay? And he says this. Benji, this is what he calls me, Benji, I am 100% sure you will be okay. He says that. He says, I am 100% sure that you'll figure it out. And that's it. And then all of a sudden the emotions leave and I can think logically. 
about my situation. And I was thinking about this afterwards, after the call, and the next day. I was listening to Hallelujah. There's a rendition by Pentatonix, Christmas, a Christmas version of Hallelujah called it's the song Hallelujah. And I was listening to this, and I just started really becoming emotional and tearing up when I was hearing these words from my father in my mind. I'm 100% sure you'll be okay. Because number one, I realized that most men do not have a father that would say that to them. Most men don't have a father they can go to or they would want to go to, right, in their lowest times. I think about people that I've heard talk about their father relationship, people like Iman Gadzi, right, or Alex Hormozzi, who talk openly about their father relationship. They're not relationships where they would go and say, hey, I'm struggling, give me some advice. And so I realized, number one, it's a, a massive blessing I have in my life to have a father that would look at me and say, almost almost like a like laugh at me and say, you'll be fine. <laughs> you know, like an old man would say to somebody that's really struggling with overwhelm and buying a house and all this shit, life circumstances. He goes, Benji, I'm 100% sure you'll be okay, like that. And number two, why it got me emotional is because I realized that even though most men don't have a father like that. I know that that is how God sees you. I know that is God how, how God sees us men. God is looking at us as an old, wise, central model, role model in our lives, a figure in our lives, an entity, an existence in our lives, a father, if you will. And God is saying, I know it's hard. I know, but it'll be okay. It'll be all right with a smile on his face. God doesn't go, oh yeah, I know, honey, I know it's so hard. I know it's really hard. God just goes, you'll be okay. Trust me. I have been through worse. <laughs> so when I think about God's perspective about anything in life, God is always like, you'll be all right. It's okay. And I think this is a really wise lesson to learn from is that most things don't really matter as much as we think they do. And if we extrapolate that situation into 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now, when we're an old man, if you could go to your future self and ask your future self what to do in this situation, almost 100% guaranteed, they would say, you'll be okay, don't worry about it. You you'll figure that out, that's easy, you know? <laughs> it's like, we've been through three world wars and AI is trying to, AI is trying to take over the world. The Terminator's here, in the future. <laughs> it's like, we've got bigger fish to fry, don't worry about that, you'll be all right. And so, the major lesson that I learned is that what I was doing, because I remember a few episodes ago, or I think the last episode, I was talking about overwhelm and how I don't let overwhelm and stress get to me. I don't let it, I don't retreat from stress and overwhelm. I will face it and I will attack it logically. I will, I will list out what I'm stressed about and I will attack one thing at a time. That's how I deal with overwhelm. And so I was asking myself, why is it that this happened? Why did I feel so much stress that I couldn't, I could barely breathe? And I realized it's because everyone needs an outlet to release this this uh, this overwhelm this stress everyone does women need it women generally do release their overwhelm by talking about it which is a fantastic thing that women do and men need it too the problem with men is that usually our release happens through the through the forms of literal release like sexual gratification <laughs> like porn masturbation or some kind of addictive outlet like going to a screen going to video games or just being upset and angry and frustrated and irritated all the time or violence like it comes out through some avenue and we all need that. And so in this moment, I was not releasing this stress that I was feeling because usually what I do is I talk to my wife about it. She was not having a great day 
in that particular day. She was stressed out all day for whatever reason. <laughs> that I wasn't even able to listen to how, why she was stressed because I was so wrapped up in my own struggles of my own demise. <laughs> Anyways, so I needed somewhere to release these emotions. And I realized that this is when I would have gone to porn in my life five, six plus years ago when I was really struggling with this stuff. I would have gone to some addictive substance to soothe myself temporarily just to stop feeling the emotion. But because I've wisened up, I've learned the lessons already, I know that the best way to deal with an emotion is to talk about it, right? And I'll repeat it. You can talk about it, you can move your body, or you can internalize. There are only three ways that humanity has ever dealt with emotions, difficult emotions, since the dawn of time, since the dawn of human existence. You move your body, you talk about it, or you internalize. So move your body is sports, exercise, hunting, whatever it is. Running, walking. Internalize is prayer, meditation, journaling, thinking about it, talking to God, whatever it is. Sharing about it is talking to someone. Talk to your wife, talk to your parent, talk to the wise person in your home, talk to a pastor, a leader, whoever it is. And that's how you deal with stuff. The most effective way to deal with an emotion is to talk about it. Why? Because when you talk about it, you're actually dealing with the emotion itself. You're actually confronting the emotion and you're resolving the root issue. And this is why women are generally much better at handling life and stresses than women are, generally speaking. Of course, not always, generally, than men are. It's because women know how to deal with emotions by talking about it. The other two, movement and internalization, come in handy when we don't have somebody to talk to. When we're just alone at night and we're stressed or we're triggered to watch porn or go down that rabbit hole, whatever it is, do drugs. The best thing to do is move your body or internalize if there's nobody around. And so what I was not doing is I was not internalizing why am I feeling this and I was not moving my body to, to deal with it. But instead, what I should have done is talk to somebody. And so what I did was to go to my father and I said, hey, I'm feeling this. And what happens? Evaporates, reduces, eliminates. And this is what I, when I talk to people that are bad, battling bad habits like drugs and alcohol and, and porn, the best thing to do is not <clears throat> squash it down or run away from it, but actually figure out the root emotion that's causing you to want to escape, all right? You can talk about, you can beat porn without talking about porn. You can beat drug addiction without talking about the, the symptom itself. You need to talk about is the emotion behind it, the thing that's causing you this feeling of overwhelm, of stress, of loneliness, of depression, of boredom, of anxiety, uncertainty, whatever the emotion is, you, you address that, and then you will naturally decrease your need and your desire to act out and to go to that substance because you don't need it anymore. Do you see what we're getting here? You don't need it. So there's no more, I'm just gonna no fap and push myself through this addiction, through the will of God, God help me. <laughs> I mean, pray more about this. It's not effective, the most effective way. And I've seen this way too many times and people that are way more addicted than people that you could ever imagine. People who have been addicted for 60 plus years. People who have been in prison because of their addiction. People who have uh, been hiding it for way, for so many decades. And I've seen them just apply this simple practice of talking to somebody, a support system, people in their lives, dealing with emotions that lead them to the addiction. And then before they know it, they just naturally, week by week, not a long time by the way, week by week, see a decrease in their desire to act out and a decrease in their need because they just don't need it anymore. They've addressed the root issue. So let's hit the gym. Let's not be overwhelmed. Let's deal, no, let's deal with overwhelm because that's definitely gonna happen in life. We're gonna always be stressed. The more responsibilities you have in life, kids, a wife, family, work, school, whatever it is, you're gonna have more stresses in life. The question is how you deal with them because it's not gonna, life is not gonna get easier 
at least for many, many decades. Maybe when you're an old man, sure. But at least in your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s even, you see a massive decline in people's happiness overall. If you, if you track the happiness of people, they say it looks like a smiley face. People start in the, at the beginning of their life overjoyed and happy as a child, and then teenager hits, and then people are in their 20s, 30s, depressed, sad, lonely, isolated, working hard, not seeing results, and then after they become 50, 60, 70, they start seeing results, they start thinking long-term, they start having this mentality of, oh, everything works out in the end. And that, that I think, is the ultimate, like, godly advice that we can give to, to men of God, is God is just tapping you on the shoulder, saying, hey, don't forget, you can figure this out. You can figure it out, and you will, will be okay. Just keep putting in the work and trust that it'll work out. All right, let's do it. Let's hit the chest, shoulders, tries, buys, uh, cord, all this stuff, and then do some work, some coaching of some godly men today. Let's, let's help some godly men figure out life. Okay, going home now. Gonna hang out with the wife and just the baby. Our other two kids are with my parents. They're doing a sleepover at their grandparents' house and that is such a blessing to have. So I'm just gonna chill with my wife and get get close and have some good conversations and have a nice dinner date. I was uh, doing a two truths and a lie today with someone, with some party activity thing. And they're asking me for, because I was the one that was giving my two truths and a lie. And I'll give them to you right now and see if you can guess which one is a lie, okay? Two truths and a lie. One, I lived in Korea as a teen and I was hit by a taxi. I lived, that's number one. Number two, I lived in Korea as a teen and I ate dog meat. That's number two. Number three, I lived in Korea as a teen and I was beat up by an old man, an old Korean man. And I'll give you a bonus one, <laughs> just to make it harder. I lived in Korea as a teen, and I smacked a Korean girl in the face. Which of those do you feel is the lie, and the other ones are true? Let me know in the comments. We're just... All right, you got your answer? The lie is, I have never eaten dog meat before, even though that's kind of a thing in Korea, it's not really common. It's not as common as they portray in the media, but some restaurants, there's something like 1,200 restaurants in Korea that still practice it. Anyways, I don't care. It never happened to me, I never had dog meat, but I did get hit by a taxi, pretty light. It wasn't, it wasn't a huge accident, it just nudged me while I was riding my bike. I did get beat up by a Korean man while I was uh, sneaking into a, a public park at night with a bunch of a bunch of friends, we were just hanging out. You know, when you're a kid, you just do stupid stuff. We were just hanging out, not doing anything bad or, or naughty. We were just hanging out in the park and then the security guards came and caught us and uh, they chased us. Everyone dispersed and I was the only one that was caught and uh, they beat me. <laughs> Quite a memory. And then the other one is that I smacked a Korean girl in the face while I was in middle school. That is, that is a fact, that is true because I was utterly upset at her because she was annoying me, she was being an annoying person, so I hit her in the face with a pencil case. Okay, so there's this new interview going around that I've been thinking and watching little by little, which is between Andrew Tate and Pierce Morgan, all right? This is the second interview that they've done. And I, if I know Andrew Tate at all, and I, I, I've watched enough of his stuff to think that I know him, I like him, like I've said before, I, I genuinely 
am happy for the success that he has had and I, I wish him all the success. However, I think he's driving, I think he's driving this ship in the in the right direction. And people are jumping on this on board, especially young men are jumping on board this ship. And they're driving in the right direction with Andrew. And eventually you kind of have to jump ship and be the captain of your own own ship. You can't just follow him to the end of earth and everything he says is truth and of God but in directionally correct directionally he's putting people in the right direction and then of course you have to course correct as you go right so overall i i love everything almost 99 percent of what he's saying and what he's doing and i get why he's doing the things that he's doing and i get why he's saying the things that he's saying right but this interview i was i don't want to say disappointed personally but i if i know andrew at all i think when he rewatches it which he will do at least 10 times probably he will probably be disappointed in the way that he handled some of the questions. I think. That's just my hunch. I think that he got rather emotional and reactive. And Pierce Morgan is exceptional at, at stirring up drama in his interviews. And I think he knew what he was doing. And he just kind of really, really pushes. He stabs you and then he twists it. And then I think Andrew reacted to a lot of things. Because Pierce Morgan knew exactly. I think he knew exactly which points to get him reactionary uh, on right and then of course they did an interview a shorter interview with Tristan Tate uh, Andrew's brother and it was like a 10-15 minute interview and they just ended it because he wasn't he wasn't feeding anything back he was trying to stoke this fire with Tristan and then Tristan was just kind of like letting it go kind of like you getting punched and you just kind of let them be instead of fighting back and that's that's how he handled it, right of course there's different ways that they handled it uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I feel for Andrew. I, I don't think it was his best work in terms of how he could have handled it. I could tell that he was trying to smile and, and make it a little bit humorous and, and balance it. But I could tell he was really agitated uh, by the questions and just, just, he's just done with it, you know? So that's, that's what's going on there. I, I, I think about this stuff like Andrew and, and Tristan, not because I'm like, obsessed with following influencers and things like that i'm really interested in people that have big influence because i care dr dramatically about the the direction of our culture where we're going as a culture and i've learned this about myself i care where we're going as a culture because it impacts a lot of people and i care about those people i care about you guys and so if there's somebody that's making a big splash in the online space, I will pay attention and I will try to learn from them. I will try to learn how they're teaching, how are they approaching things, how are they constructing sentences, how are they teaching lessons and try to learn as much as I can from them. And so that's really why I'm so curious. It's the same reason when I see K-pop, for example, we were just talking about Korea. When I, say, when I see K-pop stars like BTS, for example, if I see an interview with BTS, it actually angers me. <laughs> And I realize that other people don't think like this. When I when I talk to people about BTS, I'm like, doesn't it upset you a little bit when you see their faces? <laughs> doesn't it piss you off a little? And they're like, no, what are you talking about? And I realize I'm the only one that upset this is upset by this. I don't know if you can relate, but when I see BTS, K-pop, anyone, not just BTS, any K-pop stars doing interviews, and they're like, hey guys, my name's James, and all like this, right? And it upsets me genuinely. And I think the reason is because I know Korea. I lived there for years. I know Korean people. I know Korean culture. And this does not represent Korean culture at its best. 
And this is what the world is being exposed to and is being portrayed as this is Korean culture. And it's the same with Japanese culture because I am Japanese. It drives me crazy that when I meet a Jap someone that loves Japan, the first thing they talk about is anime. They're like, oh, I love anime. I'm like, well, that's like a tiny percent of Japanese culture. It's really not the whole thing. But the beautiful parts of Korea is not what you see. And I'll tell you a quick story about how beautiful I think Korean culture is. There's many cultures. Just a few weeks ago, we came back from Korea. My family was there for two weeks, doing a little vacation for two weeks. And then my brother-in-law, who lives in Korea, was driving us to the airport, or going with us to the airport to drop off the car that I was renting, all right? So I rented this car, this SUV, for two weeks. And so my brother-in-law was with me when I was paying the, paying the, the guys at the rental company. And before I put my credit card down, he rushes in, he jumps in front of me, and he puts down his card. He says, I'm paying for it, like this. And I was like, whoa, that's, that's generous. Keep in mind, guys, my brother-in-law does not have a job. <laughs> He's not doing well financially. I can pay for it, I can afford this, and I was planning for it without even a second's thought. He jumped in front of me, he's like, credit card, here, I'm paying for it. And I was like, thank you. And I could see how uncomfortable he was. As soon as he paid for, for the car, he checked his balance on his, on his, uh, and his bank account on his phone because he didn't even know how much it would cost and then he looked at me and was like well how long did you rent that for because <laughs> right? it costs thousands of dollars to rent an suv for for a number of weeks and that's the beauty of korean culture and that touched me that's like i'm gonna pay for you because you're my brother because you came all the way to korea to see us and i'm gonna pay for you i'm gonna return the favor and that's the beauty of korean culture right there and so when i see k-pop I'm just like, oh, that's not Korea, that's not it, that's not it. And that's what frustrates me. And all of this is to say that I really care about the cultural narrative. I care about where our culture is going. I care about what people are learning and where people are learning those things from. And so when I think about people like Andrew Tate, is he 100% the man that I aspire to be like? No, he's not. But I'm happy that he's the captain of this large ship that so many men and women are jumping on board of and then he's directing them in the correct direction. But I just hope that eventually people will, will be the captains of their own ship, meaning that they will have their own families, they will have their own marriage, they will have their own wife to take care of, their own children to, to protect, and their own legacy and their own lineage to pass on good traditions, of godly traditions. That's what I really genuinely hope for people. So if that's you, if you guys are still watching this video, I want to say really quick for you that's still watching this, I love you. Like, sincerely, I love and appreciate you for your support and being with me on this journey. I love you so much. Thank you. And I just want to say that. It means the world to me. It really does. And I believe that we need more men like you and I to get together and create uh, godly men for this world and have true influence in this world and teach standards and, and morals that are actually from God and of God that are that are everlasting that's not just gonna be a fleeting flash in the pan and after just 10 20 years is gonna disappear disappear all that stuff doesn't matter money fame no it's really legacy it's lineage it's children it's values those are things that truly last and have lasted the test of time for many many generations previously and in a hundred years from now that's what is going to be our legacy is the amount of close brothers we have close family we have close relations we have the impact that we, we make in the lives of other people those are things that truly last even if our names are forgotten which they probably will be even so 
I know the legacy will last. I know God is watching. I know my ancestors are watching me. And that's what really counts, is the eternal. So if you're with me on this journey, guys, share this video with somebody that you love, someone you care about. Like the video, because apparently that helps it spread around to people. Do like the video. I love you, bro. Uh, subscribe if you haven't yet, and I'll see you in the next episode, all right?